Well, good morning, Temple family, or evening, depending on when you're watching it. It's, it's evening here. The sun's starting to go down. But, I, you know, I sure do love the countryside. It's so peaceful. Any chance I can get out there or get out into the woods, um, I, I jump at it. You know, we're designed for peace. We were created to live peaceful lives. We function best when we're at peace. But so often our inner peace is affected by our outer circumstances. When things are going well at the office or well with the kids or well in our relationships, we tend to be at peace. When we're, when we're accomplishing the things we, we want to accomplish, we tend to be at peace. But life's not always like that, is it? Often things happen in life that we can't control. Often there are things that happen in life that we can control and we just don't control it very well. Uh, and, and, and when these things, when things outside of us go wrong, isn't it true that that's when we're the most miserable to be around? Often we'll lash out at friends and family and loved ones. Uh, we, we, we can be rude, we can be hurtful, uh, we can be uh, grasping and greedy because we're trying to control things and set things back the way they're supposed to be or in our minds the way they're supposed to be. And isn't it true that when things aren't going well out there and we don't have peace in here, this is also when we are at our most miserable within ourselves, we become anxious and depressed uh, and, and, and frantic. You know, we, we live in a culture that craves peace. We're craving peace and trying to manufacture it in all these different ways. We're more indulgent than ever and still depression and anxiety are on the rise. Well, if you wouldn't mind, I'd love for you to open your Bibles to Philippians 4. We've been working through the book of Philippians uh, since the spring with this idea of growing in Christ. And uh, in Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7, we're going to see uh, four things that help us cultivate peace in any circumstance. And then we're going to see the key to lasting peace. So open your Bibles to Philippians 4. Uh, and while we're doing that, I'm just going to pray. Father, I thank you for you. We thank you for you. You've given yourself to us, uh, and, and, you've, and you've freely offered yourself so that we can have peace with you and we can have a lasting peace uh, in this life, regardless of our circumstances. Holy Spirit, we ask that, uh, that you would prepare our hearts. Uh, we, we, want to, we want to yield to you. We want to hear from you. We need to hear from you. Uh, so speak, Lord. Uh, your servants are listening. Um, we, we pray this in Jesus' name. And we pray this for Jesus' glory. Amen. So as I said, we've been going through the book of Philippians. And this is a letter that's written by Paul uh, to a little church that he planted. Uh, they, they're poor, uh, persecuted, um, but, uh, but looking to stand firm. And he's imparting this exhortation to them uh, to joy, regardless of their circumstances. Paul says, I rejoiced, now you rejoice. And uh, if anybody... Uh, can say that, hey, you know what, I rejoice and so you should rejoice, it's Paul. Uh, he, in 2 Corinthians 11, we, we, can, we can read that uh, he was jailed a bunch of times, he was beaten a bunch of times, five times he got the 39 lashes, uh, three times he was beaten by the Romans, uh, he was uh, stoned once and somehow got away with it, shipwrecked three times. Uh, for a whole day and a night, he spent just floating out on the open ocean. Uh, and then to top it all off, in the next chapter of 2 Corinthians, we, we read that he had a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan, as he described it, uh, that was sent to harass him. So Paul was no stranger to hardship, and here he is writing from prison, where he doesn't even know if he's going to live or die 
these words. First, First Corinthians 4, he says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. These are amazing words. Let's go back here for a second and look at these commands. They're, it's easy to give a quick nod to them and then just carry on and completely ignore them. I was tempted to do that when I realized I have a hard time with these. But look at verse 4. It says this, Rejoice in the Lord. What does that mean to rejoice? Well, it comes from being filled with joy. We have this command, be filled with joy. Well, when? When are we supposed to be filled with joy? When things are going our way? Well, that's, that's kind of easy. When I feel joy, there's a movement right now in the Western church where we say, you know what? If I don't feel it, I'm not doing it. I'm not going to do something just because you tell me to. If I don't feel it, it's not authentic. But here Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Always. Whether you feel it or not, it's not inauthentic to say, self, we are going to obey God's word. It says to rejoice always. And I will rejoice. That's not inauthentic just because we don't feel it. We need to uh, learn to lead our feelings. Uh, so cultivating joy helps us find peace. Growing in Christ means that we ought to be putting effort into cultivating joy. You know, I got I got to this text, and it was right about here. I sensed the Holy Spirit saying, Jay, you're, you're, you haven't been doing a very good job of this. Uh, this. This is something that you need to change. And I was convicted. And I kind of feel like, let's just move on, shall we? <laughs> so... Here's number two. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Look there in verse five. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Well, what is reasonableness? Reasonable, it's pretty straightforward. Uh, reasonableness is just how reasonable you are. Uh, often Christians are accused of being unreasonable, of being irrational, of just accepting things on, on blind faith. But when we look at, when we look at uh, difficulty and trial, that's when everyone is most tempted to be unreasonable. Uh, we tend to not be very gracious in the midst of chaos. That's when we become irrational. And, and here Paul says, no matter what you're facing, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Uh, this idea of reasonableness um, uh, carries with it the, the connotation of gentleness. No matter what's going on in life, we ought to be gentle with one another. It carries with it the connotation of forbearance. We forbear, we bear up under whatever it happens to be, and we suffer well. So no matter what's going on in our circumstances, we, we, we ought to have a forbearing spirit. Maybe a better word that kind of encompasses all these things is graciousness. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. That's where we get the phrase grace under pressure. We as Christians ought to be known for graciousness, even in the midst of trial. Now, it ought to be known, but we don't make it known verbally where we say, hey, I just want you guys to know I'm unflappable under trial. No, no, no. This is, this is about being making it known experientially where people see us go through trial over and over and over again. And it's, we're the same people over and over and over. 
gracious in trial, reasonable, gentle, forbearing. Don't we give ourselves permission to lash out at people when everything's chaotic? And, and we excuse ourselves from being gracious because we've had a bad day or a bad week or a bad month or the pressure is so great, we excuse ourselves from being gracious. And Paul says, no, let your reasonableness be known. Let your graciousness be known to everyone, not just strangers, where you're worried about what they might think about you, not just authority figures who can punish or, uh, or exact other types of um, restrictions, not just the easy people, but everyone. Cultivating this graciousness, this forbearance, cultivating reasonableness helps us find peace. And to grow in Christ means to cultivate graciousness, reasonableness, no matter the circumstances. So rejoice always. Let your graciousness or your reasonableness be known to everyone. And here's number three. Do not be anxious about anything. What does it mean to be anxious? Well, it just means to be worried. That's what anxiety is. It's worry or fear. And it comes from wrong thinking and wrong feeling. We, 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 um, we often think that um, feeling is showing us what's actually inside. And we pit feeling and thinking against each other. But, but they work together. Wrong thinking leads to wrong feeling. When we think uh, that things ought to be a certain way around us, and then we perceive that those things are not the way we expect them to be or want them to be or think they ought to be, then our feelings come along and support that. So we have, when our perceived reality doesn't match our expected, our expected reality, then we feel bad about that. So wrong thinking about our suffering leads to wrong feeling about our, our circumstance and wrong feeling about us and wrong feeling about God. Okay, and so worry comes from wrong thinking and wrong feeling. And the Bible says here, do not be anxious about what? Just the big stuff? Hey, don't sweat the small stuff, but the big stuff you can sweat. That's not what it says. It says anything. Well, it's, it's okay to not be anxious about other people's things, but my things are really, really important. No, it says do not be anxious about anything. Put positively, this is be anxious for nothing. Cultivating a non-anxious attitude helps us find peace. And if we're going to grow in Christ, we need to learn to deal with our anxiety well. Now, these commands, why these commands? These, these, are, these, are, these are very exacting commands, and they're comprehensive. Rejoice always. Let your graciousness, reasonableness be known to everyone. And do not be anxious about anything. Why? Why? Well, we preach a very powerful message to the world about who we serve and who he is based on how we live our lives. There's an, a well-known American preacher who said this one time, I don't need to be a prophet or the son of a prophet to know who your God is. I only need to watch your life. We preach powerfully by the way that we live and we image, we image God a certain way to people by how we live. So rejoice always, let your reasonableness be known to everyone, do not be anxious about anything. And here's the fourth thing that helps us with peace, verse six, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, 
let your request be made known to God. This seems pretty straightforward. Just take everything to the Lord. Take everything to the Lord in prayer. Uh, and, then, and then what's promised is this peace that comes from God. Look at verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. Remember we talked about wrong thinking and wrong feeling? Well, if we take everything to the Lord and draw ourselves into alignment with God's heart, with God's thinking, with God's heart on all of these different things, everything that we face, then we can correct our thinking, we can correct our feeling, and when we bring these things to God, the peace of God guards our thinking and guards our feeling. And that helps us with peace. God knows best. He knows exactly how we should be cultivating inner peace. So rejoice always, no matter the circumstances. Be gracious to everyone, no matter the circumstances, no matter the relationship. Be anxious for nothing, no matter the stress, no matter the perceived cost. And pray about everything. And he promises that we can receive this peace, the peace that comes from God. So now why do we struggle with this? Why, why is lasting peace so hard to come by? Why are these commands so hard to obey? About 10 years ago, it was late, late summer, August, early September, uh, something of that nature. I decided to go and uh, take a canoe trip with a good friend of mine. And uh, the, the trip was fantastic. Weather was amazing. Uh, we saw all kinds of neat animals. Some river otters came to play with us uh, at one point. And then the last night, the, the, the temperature just soared and the bugs came out. And we got eaten alive by all these bugs. I've got a picture with my face just blown up like a beach ball uh, because of all these bug bites. And uh, so, so we had a miserable night. We got up in the morning, threw everything in the canoe, just said, you know what, we, let's just get out of here. We got about a two-hour paddle to get back to the truck. Excuse me, to get back to the truck. And then we can, uh, we can get in, we can get warm, we can, because uh, um, we knew a cold front was coming in, uh, and then we, can, then we can get home. So we threw everything in the canoe, we got in, we started to paddle. And uh, this cold front came in, and it dropped about 20 degrees in about an hour and a half. Uh, and the paddle wasn't a two-hour paddle, it was a five-hour paddle. We had somehow misjudged the, the distance. Um, and so we, about the third hour, we were starting to get very cold, and the rain was coming down. And about the, th about the fourth hour, we were, uh, we were hypothermic. And so we pulled off to the side. Muscles are starting to cramp. We're starting to kind of feel a little bit groggy, and we knew that we were in trouble. We knew that we were facing a significant trial, and we knew what we needed. We needed to get sheltered. We needed to get uh, warm. We needed to get dry. We needed to get nourished but we had very, very little power to actually be able to do those things. So we were gonna try to get under a tarp and try to get warm if it was even possible, warm each other up if it was even possible at that point. Uh, and sometimes with the trials of life, we know what we need to do. Uh, popular psychology knows very, very well the value of, of cultivating joy, uh, of cultivating graciousness, um, of gratitude, of, of reflection and positive self-talk. We know the action that's expected, but often we don't have the strength to actually act. We don't have the strength to rejoice, the strength to be reasonable, the strength to avoid anxiety, or even just to simply pray when we're just so tired and weak. I look at this list and I go, God, really? Rejoice always? How, how, do, how do I do that, God, when, when I'm heartbroken? 
How do I do that when nothing in this life gives me any joy right now? Really? Be gracious with everyone? What about those people that are hurting me? What about those people that are exploiting me and, and, and even taking joy in my pain? Be gracious to them? Be gracious to everyone? Are you kidding me right now? Don't be anxious about anything, but there's so much going wrong. My dreams are being dashed before my very eyes. The things, any, all the things I've ever wanted in my life are being taken away from me, or, or I can't attain them in the first place. And I'm supposed to be not anxious about anything. How am I supposed to do these things consistently and, and, and pray about everything? That's almost insult to injury when things are difficult. How do I pray when I'm so tired and weak and broken? And all I can say is, help. Maybe I can't even do that. How do we keep these commands so that we have peace and a good witness in a world that so desperately needs it? Well, I want to draw your attention to two phrases. One on the ends, of, uh, one shows up on the ends, both ends of this passage, and the other one's in the middle. Look at verse 5 and verse 6. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is near. This is the key to all of this, the nearness of the Lord. Be gracious to everyone. Why? Well, the Lord is at hand. Do you know that just like when we fall asleep here, our head hits the pillow and we actually fall asleep, it doesn't feel like any time has passed and all of a sudden we wake up. Well, there's going to be a time here when we all fall asleep existentially and we're going to wake up and it's going to be like no time has passed and we're going to be face to face with the creator. We need to be gracious with everyone because we need to show God's grace to people who need to see that because one day they're going to go to sleep and they're going to wake up and be face to face with the creator. And we have a hand in shaping how they see him and whether they come to him. We're partnering with God in that effort. The other thing too is we are going to fall asleep and we're going to wake up and we're going to be face to face with the creator. And he's going to ask us what we did with all of the gifts that he has given to us and, and how, we, how we managed our life and how we honored him in those things. So the Lord is near in that sense, chronologically. But the Lord is also near in another sense. Look at Look at verse 6 there again. So the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious for anything. The impetus for us not being anxious is because the Lord is at hand. He's, he's at hand sympathetically and, and in proximity. The Lord is, he's, he's omnipresent. He's all present. He's everywhere all the time. Uh, but, he, but he is near right now to the brokenhearted, the Bible says. He's near to the brokenhearted, Psalm 34. He's near to those who call upon his name. So he's near chronologically. He's near sympathetically and proximally. Ephesians 2, 13 and 14 says that we have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So he is near because he has come near and he's invited us to come near. The reason that we don't have lasting peace is because we're not connected to the God of peace. See, in the very beginning, when Adam and Eve were given everything, they walked with God. They were at peace with God. There was no issue in the relationship. And then when they sinned, when they rebelled against God, when they essentially said, God, we don't need you, 
We'll just do things on our own. We want to be God in our own lives. Well, then there is a separation that happened between God and humankind, and humankind has continued in that ever since. And you and I have, have, have that issue in our fallen state where we say, you know what, God, We'd ra I'd rather just be God in my own life and do my own thing. And that, that separation robs us of peace. When we don't have peace with God, we're robbed of, of lasting peace because he is the source of peace. But God, being rich in mercy, said, I'm going to do something to bridge that gap. And Jesus came. He became one of us. He, 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 he came near to us by becoming one of us. And he lived a perfectly sinless life. No separation between him and his father. At perfect peace with him and his father. And then he went to the cross and he died to take our place because the wages of sin is death. That separation from God, that lack of peace uh, between us and God means that we will die physically and we will die eternally. But Jesus lived a perfect life and he took our place. So he died so that we didn't have to. But because he was perfect, he was raised up again. And so in his resurrection, we can also be resurrected. When this life is over, we can also be resurrected because we have peace with God and he will raise us up like Jesus was raised up. This is good news. So God has come near to draw us to come near so that there's no more separation. And that's the key to having peace, being connected with the source of peace. And then he's near because he has sent his spirit to live in us. That's crazy. Having the spirit of God living in us, empowering us, teaching us, guiding us into all truth, and raising us up again when this life is all over is good news. It's, it's, it's just crazy. So we can be near to God positionally and powerfully. I want to talk about position and power. And we see that in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And then at the end in verse 7 it says that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. In the Lord, in Christ Jesus. What does this mean? You'll notice it doesn't say rejoice for the Lord. It doesn't say that. It's not something that we do for him. It's something that we do because of our position in him. We rejoice in the Lord. It doesn't say rejoice beside the Lord. Like, oh, he's just a good example for us to follow. I'll watch him and then I'll do what he does as I walk alongside him. That's not what it says. It says in the Lord. It doesn't say rejoice with the Lord. Although we will be rejoicing with the Lord for eternity if we are in him. In the Lord is about position and then the effect of that position. Let me, let me illustrate this. When you jump into water, it's a very hot day, for example. If you know how to swim, you take position in the water and it refreshes you. If you don't know how to swim, you take position in the water and the effect of the water might be that you drown. What about in a house? We go into a house. A storm comes in, for example. We go into the house and we take up position in the house and the effect of being in the house is that we are sheltered from the elements. When we get into a mess, when we're in the mess, we take position in the mess. We're enveloped by the mess. And then we, and then we experience the effect of the mess, which is often not really good. So to be in the Lord is to take a position in the Lord. 
And Jesus has provided that position by substituting his life for ours so that we can substitute our life for his. That's what it means to be in the Lord. Jesus, my life is yours. You take it. You live it. You do whatever you want with it. And then the effect of that, that proximity with him because of the position with him, the position in him, is that we're imparted with his power, imparted with his authority, and imparted with his character. It's the nearness of the Lord that enables us to do these things, to rejoice, to be gracious, to not be anxious about anything, and to draw near to him in prayer. The one, one last illustration. I remember as a kid, you don't see them as much anymore, hot air balloons floating across the horizon. Really nice, beautiful sight to see them all floating along like that. A hot air balloon is just a piece of fabric laying on the ground until it is positioned over the heat source, over the flame. And then it slowly fills up with air and it fills out and it rises up into the sky. When we're really cold and damp and we draw near to a fire, the effect of the fire and its position relative to our position is to warm us and dry us out. This is what happens when we draw near. We, uh, in John 15, we read that Jesus says that he is the vine and we are the branches. And any branch that abides in him bears much fruit. So the key to us bearing the fruit of the Spirit here with love, joy, we talked about that, peace, we talked about that. These are fruit of the Spirit. Gracious, or uh, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, that all falls under graciousness. These are fruits of the Spirit. Um, when we abide in Jesus, and He abides in us, His words abide in us, that's the fruit that He bears on us as branches. So here's the end of that story, that canoe trip story. So we were sitting there freezing, hypothermic, in real trouble, sheets of rain coming down and we peered across through the rain across the river and we saw this figure on the opposite shore all white we thought we were seeing an angel and he was beckoning us to come over calling us over so with our last strength we paddled back across the river it was fairly wide at this point and we and we found a man who was up there with his wife and grandkids at a cabin we hadn't seen anybody for days. He was wearing a white raincoat, so we don't think it was an angel. It might have been an angel. We don't know. And we pulled up. He pulled our canoe up onto the shore, and we kind of fell out, and he gathered us up, and he brought us into his cabin. He put blankets on us, put us near the, the, the wood stove, um, boiled a, a pot of coffee, and put uh, mugs with this hot, life-giving liquid into our hands. And over time, we began to take on the character of everything that was in that, uh, in that warm, dry, cozy cabin. 
our position in the cabin after being invited by this guy um, meant that we experienced the effect of being in that cabin. How like God this is. He comes near and calls. He comes near and cleans us up so that we can go and call others. And he gives us joy for others to see. He gives us graciousness to make him known and to bless others. He gives us access to him by prayer. And then he gives us peace and makes our lives fruitful and impactful. Will you draw near? Maybe you've been walking with the Lord for a long time and you're just a little bit dry right now or a little bit, a little bit cool right now. Well, when we draw near to him, we experience the effect of being close to him positionally. He'll start to heat us up. Will you draw near and get shelter and get warm? And for those of you who don't know Jesus, maybe you're hearing some of this for the first time. And maybe you're wondering, I, I, I don't know how to have this peace. Some of this stuff is, is confusing. Well, what you need to do is you need to draw near to the God who created you and loves you and is calling you right now. Will you draw near to him and get shelter and get warm? And deal with, deal with this rift between you and God so that you can have lasting peace. Will you draw near? It's kind of chilly tonight. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for you. We thank you that you have come near to us, that you have called us, that you have provided a way to have peace with you again. Lord Jesus, we're so thankful for what you've done for us, for taking on the load of sin that we, that we can't bear, could never bear, and taking that to the cross, sacrificing your life so that we can have life. Thank you for that. Holy Spirit, thank you for teaching us and, and being with us, being the comforter, guiding us into all truth. And I pray right now, God, that, that you would reveal yourself in, in new and fresh ways uh, to all of us. Save souls, God, and, uh, and revive our hearts. Warm us up. Give us a white-hot passion for you. We pray this in Jesus' name and for Jesus' glory, knowing full well that what glorifies you is in our best interest as well. We thank you for that. Amen.